Hey, this is Jeff Gannon, and you're listening to the Focus Compounding Podcast, the podcast where Andrew and I talk general investing concepts. To get even more content from me and Andrew, sign up for the Focus Compounding app. The Focus Compounding app costs $7.95 a month. It comes with a bunch of 2,000-word articles from me each week, a fresh batch of five-minute videos from the both of us, along with one bonus extra-long episode of the podcast each Saturday, and immediate access to our complete backlog of 200-plus episodes. To sign up, go to focuscompounding.com app or wherever apps are sold. And now here's Andrew with your regularly scheduled podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn, sitting next to Jeff Gannon. Jeff, how's it going today? Uh, it's going very well. Very well, Andrew. How's it going with you? It's going great. Hope it's going great for everybody else as well. So on Buffett's 90th birthday, yeah. he broke the internet. And what I mean by that is he broke into it. Okay. News came out that he was investing in five Japanese trading companies. Uh-huh. And a lot of people were very shocked about that. It seems like he's doing a similar situation to what he did with airlines and railroads. Mm-hmm. What was your initial reaction when this came across your desk? It seemed pretty boring. Really? It was a news story to me. Yeah. So this was interesting to people? Uh, this was very interesting to okay. people. He, he certainly has been in the news lately with the gold barrack and then, uh, you know, now Japan. But barrack gold probably, I mean, I can't imagine that was his investment. No. And we all know that, but like, there's no way it was. There's yeah. no doubt this was his investment. I mean, Buffett has invested in commodities before. Mm-hmm. He has a long record of investing in commodities, mostly not a very good record um, <laughs> compared to his investing in other things. But it's a constant obsession of his is looking at commodities. Why is that, do you think? Fear of inflation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Because remember, I Vetla mentioned on um, one of the rundowns with you that gold uh, had outperformed Berkshire over the last however long. Uh, 15 years or so, something like that? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, that happened when Buffett started. His first 15 years gold outperformed Berkshire. So, you know, it's a common thing. Got it's, it. It's not unusual, and it, it does happen that gold has very strong performance for a while. Obviously, as you can imagine, that means that in between, yeah, gold sure. didn't have a very good time in that, like 30 years or whatever in between. But, um, yeah, uh, so it is an obsession with his, and you can see tons of examples of oil, gold, silver, um, aluminum companies, all sorts of things he's been invested in over the years. Honestly, I don't even know what you what you've been saying for the past minute because all I took away from that was that you listened to the rundown. So yeah. if Vela, if you're listening, we've made it. We have made it. No, cool. So um, that came out, and there were certain things in the press release that you said sort of piqued your interest. Okay. Um, one of them that was probably. I don't want to say the most important, but definitely, um, you know, very interesting was he described other businesses as long-term holdings and he did not include Wells Fargo in that list. Right. The ones he included, I believe, were Coke, Amex, and Moody's. Correct. Moody's he's only on for about 20 years. Um, now, Moody's he did receive as a spinoff from um, Dun & Bradstreet, so it's a, a little more complicated. But anyway, he, he said he'd own it for 20 years. So um, Wells Fargo, he's owned for about nine years more than that, I believe. I believe he bought Wells Fargo about nine years before the spinoff of Moody's. So the fact that he didn't mention uh, Wells Fargo as being a long-term investment says to me that he um, doesn't see uh, Wells Fargo as an ongoing investment. Mm-hmm. He still owns it, but I think he intends to sell it, yeah. And he also said that he hopes there's more things in the future. See all this ad stuff? I need an ad blocker mm-hmm. like you have. He said that he hopes in the future that they could do more stuff similar to this, right? Hinting towards you think that they're going to do some more either like joint ventures or something like that with Japanese uh, companies, Berkshire. Uh, yeah, I think the language that he used would suggest that he's open to that idea, um, that that Berkshire's open to the idea of working with them in some way around the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he said that in, um, 
in the press release. Do you have the press release? Uh, I could pull you it can do, up. Just pull it on their website. Yeah, they sure. put it up on their website, and so it's the best place to get it. Because um, reading closely is useful. Uh-huh. You can tell that he wrote the specific things that are in it. Um, yeah. His birthday. There you go. All yep. right. Okay. Tokyo, Japan. Right. So he mentions Coca-Cola for 32 years, American Express for 29 years, and Moody's for 20 years. Yep. That suggests to me that he, otherwise he'd mention Wells Fargo. Probably, unless he, he's worried that Japanese companies don't know what Wells Fargo is, which is the other possibility, uh-huh. that they understand what Coke, American Express, and Moody's are. Uh-huh. He said that Berkshire Hathaway's intention is to hold its Japanese investments for the long term. Depending on price, Berkshire Hathaway may increase its holdings up to a maximum of 9.9% in any of the five instruments. However, Warren E. Buffett, CEO of Berkshire Hathaway, has pledged that the company will make purchases only up to an ownership of 9.9% in any of the five investments. The company will make no purchases beyond the point that point unless given specific approval by the investee's board of directors. Yes. So I think that... Um, that means he wants to own 9.9%, but he also understands that this could be alarming to Japanese companies. Uh-huh. Um, let's see. And then it said, Mr. Buffett expressed his pleasure with investments. I'm delighted to have Berkshire Hathaway participate in the future of Japan and the five companies we have chosen for investment. The five major trading companies have many joint ventures throughout the world and are likely to have more of these partnerships. I hope that in the future there may be opportunities of mutual benefit. That means Berkshire wants to participate in joint ventures mm-hmm. around the world. Yeah. Um, but what would you think about, you know, um, and you talked a little bit about this, they could, their cost of capital is so low and basically investing in something in Japan, all they need is a return better than the offset of the Japanese yen. Yes. A lot of people disagreed with me on this one. They said they don't think that's the reason. I think that's the reason. I think Buffett has been looking for decades to find ways to use the capital that they have in that um, in Japanese yen to make a yen denominated investment that's mm-hmm. attractive. And we can see this here. We can go to each of the companies. I think would Bloomberg be the best way to do it? Let's see. Yeah. Can I mean, can tell you what they are. I mean, I can I can do it myself like what they're. So I believe all of their dividend yields are between 2.5 and 5.5 percent. Um 10-year Japanese government bonds are at close to zero. Uh-huh. I believe 30-year Japanese government bonds are still under 1%. So you're taking something where if your spread over them at Berkshire is small, if your spread over it is only a few percent, um, in all cases, the cost to you of um, offsetting borrowing that you have with the, these common stocks, your borrowing costs, your cost of capital is lower than the dividend yield on the stock. So any increase in the price of the stock is basically free for you. You're not actually tying up any capital um, effectively. Nine times earnings. Let's see. Dividend 3.16%. Yeah. Which, which of the uh, stocks is this? This one is Itocho, okay. Itochu Corp. And they all fall into that sort of category. Um, most of them are below book, mm-hmm. technically. Um, but this is typical for Japan. And I invest in Japan in Japanese net nets, and they all had dividend yields like this. The Japanese bonds yield a lot less than many Japanese stocks. It's easy to find Japanese stocks that yield a lot more than bonds. Why do you think he chose these companies? Uh, amount of capital that he could put into them, and then they're very cheap. Um, so he got a very diversified basket of Japanese stocks. Um with a lot of cheapness mm-hmm. basically let's pull up the next um, one i think that would be the thing that makes the most sense so he put about six billion dollars equivalent in yen to work and um he has the potential to put up to 12 
uh, I think that's the most likely reason for doing it. Is a trading company with business divisions in iron and steel, information technology, utility, and infrastructure. Mm-hmm. I mean, the math on these is pretty simple. You can borrow in Japan at a very low rate. You can buy something at less than book value that yields more than the long-term interest rates in the country. Mm-hmm. So it's, I mean, look, that has a dividend yield of 5% and has a price to book less than one. If we could find things in the U.S. that have dividend yields of more than 5% and price to book less than one, we should buy them. And our cost of capital is higher, mm-hmm. you know, in the United States. How does this relate to when he did this with airlines or maybe how does it compare when he did this with airlines and when he did this with railroads? I don't think it has anything to do with the industry. So I think his only reasons for buying airlines and for buying um, railroads was because of things he saw changing in the industry. I don't think that this has anything to do with that. I think this just has to do with price. Mm-hmm. I was rewatching last night the Daily Journal meeting from 2017 when Munger was talking about it and it was kind of cool to rewatch it because I actually was there in person and he was talking about them investing in airlines and how, mm. you know, Buffett's continued to learn and how times have changed and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, that's, that didn't age too well, obviously, because he, he sold, sold out, out of air, airlines, yeah. you know, so it's just mm-hmm. like, it's been proven time and time again, um, how hard, you know, I guess airlines are to make money in, but for railroads, yeah, to right? Be fair, the only time we lost money in, rail, in the airlines. Well, people, yeah, you've said people yeah, to exaggerate that. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. No, he tried to sell it. He failed to sell it. But yeah, he actually made money because the industry re- recovered from that. So it, that was, his big bet on airlines this time was the only time that he's lost money on airline stocks. But that's true, yeah. What about railroads? Well, he's done well in railroads. Mm-hmm. And, but he also would have done well if he just bought his basket. It's just he wouldn't be able to allocate as much capital to it. I don't know that Burlington Northern has done better in any way than if he had owned all the different railroads in, the, in North America. But yeah, railroad industries. I mean, you can look. The stocks have done well. Mm-hmm. Um, and the industry's certainly done well. And that was a change in the industry. Do you think he will look for more companies in, in Japan? Or do you think this was really just, he's going to look to sunk in more capital? He gets from Japan. Mm-hmm. The biggest reason why Berkshire can't do things in Japan is because of the reaction that the Japanese um, companies would have to Berkshire buying a lot of their stock. So the problem is there aren't a lot of Japanese companies that are would be attractive to Berkshire that are very big. And if he bought too much of their stock, it would be seen as being hostile. Um, and so that presents a big problem. So here, even this one, this is a pretty not huge investment by Berkshire. Let's say it's $6 billion or so. Even if he gets to 10% on them, that's $12 billion he can allocate to it. That's not even, he has some positions already, I believe, that are bigger than that. If we, if we go back to his second, third, or, or fourth biggest um stocks that aren't Apple, they're still that size or bigger. Mm-hmm. So it's, it isn't a huge allocation of capital. So that's the problem. I think it's hard to, for Berkshire to put a lot of capital work in Japan. Do you think they would ever acquire an entire business in Japan? I don't know. I think Japan would be a very, very hard country to do that in. Why? I think Berkshire will be seen less positively in Japan than it would be in many other countries. So I think it's easier to buy an entire business in many other countries than it is in Japan for him. Um, I think, yeah, I think there's lots of reasons why it would be harder in Japan. There's also other reasons. I mean, like public companies could be sold to Berkshire because they're worried about someone else trying to take them over in other countries. That won't be a factor in Japan. Um, you know, Berkshire could be seen as the the least bad alternative for some companies that where they don't have adequate control of the company and someone's making a raid on them or something which won't happen in japan um i think yeah 
I think those sorts of things culturally and stuff that Berkshire is a poor fit for Japan. Mm. It's interesting because a lot of people, you know, they took it as he's investing away from, you know, the U S market and as, as if he's slightly making a market call or anything like that. I mean, you don't think it was anything like that. You think it was just simply his cost I, is I absolutely it's a lot nothing. easier to find. I think it's a lot easier to find cheap stocks in Japan than in the United States. Mm-hmm. A lot easier. Yeah, I would. Yeah. I, yeah. If I had a choice between being able to look through all the stocks in the U.S. or all the stocks in Japan and picking from one or the other, I would pick Japan. How do you even go about analyzing companies in Japan? Like when you went through, you know, Japanese net nets, mm-hmm. right? What was the process that you used to find? Like, is there like did you go through like a jack? But did you go through like a? Is there like a certain directory that you use Tokyo and Stock then look Exchange at? Has every stock. Um, you can find it. I mean, we could type that in. They have a good English language site. I mean, you're not going to look the like the uh, look of it. But um, does it look like it's from early 2000s? Yeah, that's something else we're talking about. But it's a very useful site. I actually think it's Tokyo Stock Exchange. Yeah. And now I preferred a lot of stocks that aren't actually. uh, No, it would be the second one that you want to click on. But that's okay. I think that's better. Um, Is that better? Yeah. Yeah. So what you do is you use this and then you can figure it out by typing in the company names and stuff. Japan uses numbering, same as many um, Asian markets. And so it's more important to know the number of the stock than it is to um, know the company name because company names in Japan can be odd. Um, sometimes they're Japanese names that I can't pronounce and stuff. Sometimes there's uh, English naming of things that I don't even know if that's what they call them in Japan. But um, Does it go under code? I've never looked at Japanese stocks. So, there we go. Yeah, so that you know, it, it tells you that, and then you can go for the basic information, and then it'll provide you information that you have including the filing and stuff um that's how you find out about all the stuff they provide very little disclosures and stuff generally i would say um so obviously there's no way to understand these companies but there wouldn't be any way to understand them within the united states either you know the, these companies are giant companies that are involved in you know when they say trading companies they mean they're conglomerates uh-huh. and um they'll have things in english though if you went to their uh, website you could find it in english but i don't know that he would have spent a lot of time reading about them and stuff. I doubt that. Um, I certainly didn't when looking at things in Japan. So what do you think he did? I mean, I, he probably read the annual reports for each of them. Uh-huh. But I think he just decided that the Japanese trading companies were cheap in terms of how he could use the capital that he had. That's where I disagree with other people. And if you go back to the PDF, his last line is specifically, no, uh, there. Berkshire Hathaway has $625.5 billion of yen-denominated bonds outstanding, maturing at various dates beginning in 2023 and ending in 2060. Consequently, the company has only uh, minimal exposure to yen-dollar movements, right? Okay. So, he says something that's very important there. 2023 to 2060. So, that means three to, um, what is that? Three to 40 years, basically. And then it has similar amounts in terms of what he's investing. I, I don't know the dollar to um, yen ratio right now, but let's say it's roughly a hundred to one. Um, then he's invested about would be have been investing the same amount, okay, at prices of a hundred yen to one dollar. Um, he's just invested the same amount that they have due. So for that reason, both in terms of the um, length of time of what the investment is mm-hmm. for a stock, having it mature out that far in terms of your debt. And then also the actual fact that it was in yen and he bought something in yen means that both in terms of currency and in terms of interest rates, he's matched the investment very much. Mm-hmm. So 
I think it's hard. It's would it's the kind of thing he would look at and be like, "How do I lose money in this?" It's very hard to see how you lose money doing it, um, because you're making an investment in a common stock that yields a lot more than the debt. But that shows you the problems in Japan and stuff, and and maybe the world. But why are people lending to Berkshire Hathaway instead of buying new stocks for themselves? Why? I, it reflects a serious economic um, issue. And I don't, it's hard to answer that question, but it's irrational. They're lending money to Berkshire to go buy these stocks and Berkshire capture all the upside and they take all the risk as bondholders. Yeah. <laughs> um, but this isn't unusual. I mean, this happens. It seems like the typical Buffett investment, you know, like even with like his preferreds and stuff like that, where it's like virtually, I don't want to say certain that he's not going to lose money, but pretty much. You but know, it's, typical, to the point. it's typical of Japan. There's Japanese people and Japanese companies that continue to buy government bonds um, instead of buying net nets and things like that. I mean, many of their stocks yield significantly more. So if a common stock and, and that was true in the U.S. at, uh, you know, before 100 years ago or so, um, and then it changed at times, but but not always. I mean, at times the stocks have been very, very attractive. It, it's so like um the last time corporate bonds were this cheap in the or this expensive in the U.S. that had yields this low was about um, uh, 1946, and you could find common stocks that yielded significantly more. So, like there were 30-year bonds in 1946 that I think yielded about three percent. Now, um, you had common stocks with dividend yields significantly above three percent that you could buy. So that you should do that mm -hmm. when you have common stocks having dividend yields above um bonds you should buy them and like in our portfolio that happens sometimes but in most people's portfolio it doesn't happen anymore that they, they don't have own stocks that have dividend yields higher than bond yields so i mean the reason why stock performance was so amazing in the la in much of the 1900s and stuff was because people the value that they placed on each, they valued stocks so low uh -huh. that a stock could have a dividend yield that was equivalent to a bond yield. Plus you get all the upside. Now people have so bid up the price of, uh, have so bid up the price of stocks and stuff versus bonds that that d tends not to happen. So it's all speculative component to it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but you don't, in Japan, you don't necessarily see that. And so you still see opportunities like that because the Japanese mindset of investors is more like the American mindset in 1946 in which people were willing which to buy is, corporate, they're willing to buy corporate bonds and not the stocks of the same companies. And that can happen in Japan. They'll be willing to buy debt of companies in which they wouldn't buy the stock. And it's just, it's not, it's not right. Um, you're really hurting your returns over time by doing that. Got it. Cool. Well, I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with Jeff and I on the Focused Compounding Podcast. Make sure you hit that subscribe button if you're not already. I saw a stat the other day that showed 45% of our listeners on YouTube, they're not subscribed. They just like to tune oh. in, listen, and, and that's it. So make sure you hit that subscribe button. You'll make me very happy. I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in, and we will see you in the next podcast.